This morning's reading is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and is unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I just pray for Chris as he brings brings the word to us this morning. Heavenly Father, pray that you be with Chris this morning as he unpacks this, uh, these passages in James. Just be with him, bless him, and help him to be a blessing to us. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, well, if we could have the first slide, that would be wonderful. You know this one? There may be trouble ahead. Not too bad. I, I don't think I can be in the music group, but that wasn't too bad, I'm sure. Um, but you know, that, you know that phrase, and today's passage thinks about such things. So we're going to be thinking about that in just a moment. But before we do, I thought, you know, it's always good to have a bit of context, okay? And um, 
some of you will have received an email from me, hopefully this week, that gave you a little bit of an overview of the book of James that we're going to start going through together, because it's, it's quite an interesting book. It's only five chapters, but hopefully those of you that have seen the video uh, got a good overview. Um, if you haven't seen the video, then just head to the Bible Project. You can do that on the web or go on YouTube. Um, but James... Most likely the brother of Jesus, they reckon, um, he went on to write this book. But he was one of the key leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And if you want to find out a little bit more about his work in Jerusalem, then read Acts chapter 12 and 15. His letter today that we're going to be looking at through the next few months is aimed at the Jewish believers, those Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been hoping for and praying for all those years. You know, we looked at the prophets, didn't we, as we entered Advent, and this is the promised Messiah that they'd all been hoping for, and a number of Jews believed that Jesus was that Messiah. Many didn't, but James is writing to those who did, and those that have been scattered across the known world because they've been persecuted for believing in this Jesus. Now, his letter concerns punchy wisdom to aid them in their walk with Jesus Christ. It's like a New Testament version of Proverbs. Okay, that's a good way of thinking of it. And it's influenced by the teachings of Jesus Christ, particularly his Sermon on the Mount, which you can see in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And if you're reading James over the next few weeks and months uh, as we look at this, read that as well, Matthew chapters 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Bible Project describes the book of James, and I like this, this quote. I think this is great. It sums it up beautifully. They describe the book of James as a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. And if any of you have read the book of James, you'll know that rings true. James is a bit like a New Year's workout or a diet. None of us find it particularly enticing or easy or enjoyable, perhaps. But we all know we need it. So for me, the reason I wanted to start with James this year is because I believe James is a spiritual detox Okay, for the new year, to get us back on track with God and with each other. So if we can have our first slide. So we're going to be starting by thinking about trials. Now, James, as you may have guessed already from what you've heard, is quite a straight-talking kind of guy. He does not mince his words and he makes the observation that we face trials of many kinds in life. Some expected, some unexpected, some brought on by our own foolishness, some inflicted on us by others, and so the list goes on. I don't know about you, but occasionally, I mean, I journal quite a bit because I've got a lot going on in my head and I need to get it out and I need to work through it in prayer, um, but so many times I've looked back on my journals and I've gone crikey a lot happened in that week have you ever had that or you think has that literally just happened in a week 
or even worse, sometimes a day, and you look back at the end of the day, I can't believe all the things that have just happened uh, this week. The other uh, week, before Christmas, uh, many of you know that we've had a, we had a number of funerals before Christmas, and I had uh, two uh, just before the, the Christmas uh, week, and um, lots of stuff has been going on for us this year. It's been quite a tough year, and I felt the intensity of it before Christmas. I was exhausted. And uh, I went to the coffee shop with my journal to process some things before I carried on working my way through all the things that I had to do. And I was kind of like going, Lord, just help me. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm struggling. I'm tired. I just need you to step in and help me here. Anyway, I'm going home. I'm walking down the road here in Histon, okay? Just put that into context, here in Histon. And I'm just going across the crossing over by... um, uh, the you know the business park, and um, I start to go across the uh, pedestrian crossing, and I can see that there's a car screeching around the corner, and he starts to indicate towards coming in. But I'm thinking, well, surely it's my right of way. You know, I'm, I'm on the zebra crossing. Here I go, and he didn't stop. In fact, he made a point of speeding up. And he screeched just behind me as I was walking across the zebra crossing. And I turned and he just laid into me. He was was calling me all things under the sun. He didn't like my response, which was to say, it's my right of way. And he was like, blah, 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 it's not your right of way. And then he said to me, oh, you know, and I said, so what? You thought you'd make your point by speeding up even faster, did you? At which point he then said some words I can't say here this morning and and yeah and off he went and off he went and I just I, I was walking home thinking oh lord that's not the encouragement I needed right now you know you've had those days you've had those weeks and you just think oh what is going on so we're with James on this aren't we you know we have experienced trials of many kinds many of us can recall right now the things that we're struggling with we have our own battles and struggles but then he goes on to talk about how we as Christians should respond to such trials in our lives. He says, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it nothing but... Now, how would you finish that sentence? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it nothing but... Well, my guess is that you wouldn't say joy. Best yet, you wouldn't say pure joy. We might draw the conclusion that James has a bit of a screw loose. Or maybe he's even slightly sadistic. Why on earth, why on earth would anyone find hardship and pain as something to be joyful about? But let's hear him out, okay? He goes on to say, consider it pure joy because... You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now this may seem balmy, but it's actually really logical. Hands up if you've taken out another gym membership at the beginning of a new year. Oh look, no one's admitting to it. 
Hands up if you have, in the past, taken out a gym membership in the New Year as part of your New Year's resolutions. There's a few of you. I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more. Well, you may have heard of the phrase, no pain, no gain. You heard of that one? Yeah, yeah. Now, in order to build yourself up, so I'm told, I've only done it, tried to do it once, um, the muscle needs to be torn and stretched and then allowed to mend. And as they do this, they get bigger and stronger. I remember we had a fitness freak in our last church, and I know that my upper body is rubbish. Kate tells me regularly. Um, So I thought, (laughs) I'm going to do something about this. It's the new year. Yeah, I'm going to get pumped. And uh, so I said to my fitness freak friend, give me some Give me some, you know, tips on exercises. I've got some weights at home. I'm too much of a, um, of a stingy pants to go to the gym. I'm, I've got weights at home. Let me just do it at home. So he gave me these exercises, and I started to do them. And I did really notice the effect over the next week or two. Um, I think that's just how long I did it for. Um, but I remember standing at church one morning, and I was at the lectern, and I, oh, my, my, my whole body ached. And um, I can remember, I couldn't praise Jesus with my hand up. It was just too much. And in the shower, trying to wash my hair, oh, my goodness. That was the most painfully excruciating thing ever. Because the muscles had been ripped and they'd been pulled apart. And then they were trying to pull themselves back together as they grew. And my body had never experienced this before. Not on the top half, anyway. So it was just... It was just saying to me, what on earth are you doing to me? Now, precious metals, when they're put in the pressure of the furnace and purified, they're made stronger and purer and a greater worth. There are countless illustrations and one-liners to nod to this idea that just like muscles or metals that become stronger through the trials, so does your faith When God is at work. Now there's a passage that I love in the Bible. called. Well there's a lot of passages I love in the Bible. But one of them is Hebrews chapter 12. And it talks about the Christian life being like a long distance race. Another thing that puts a lot of people off. You know. A lot of people don't like exercise. Particularly long distance ones. What on earth is that about? But it compares it to this long distance race. And it requires perseverance. And the passage goes on to say this, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you for the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Why? How is that love to endure hardship and trial? But you know, I came to the conclusion of this. Discipline without love is an awful thing. Discipline without love is an awful thing. But discipline with love is a life-giving thing. Discipline with love is a life-giving thing. And I'm hoping that some of you have experienced that in your life, maybe through parents, maybe for a close friend, maybe for a mentor, I hope that those of you that have children, despite the difficulties that, that happen and the tests and trials you face, I hope that you are parents that look to discipline out of love and not just frustration. I admit that sometimes I 
do try and discipline out of my frustration rather than out of love. And you know what? It never goes particularly well when I do. In fact, it makes it worse. The writer to the Hebrews goes on to say, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness, that we may become like him. When we follow Christ, we seek to become like him through his Holy Spirit working in us. And the Hebrew writer goes on to say, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, the testing of our faith through trials and temptations can make our faith stronger if we persevere with God's help. If we look to him and rely on him. And it's been wonderful to hear some of those testimonies this morning. And I know for a fact there are many, many more testimonies out there of God's faithfulness as we've looked to him. You know, some of us are still looking to him for the same thing we've been looking to him for for years. But I just want to encourage you and remind you, like that song said earlier, that even when we don't see it or feel it, He is at work. You know, with less of us, you know, when we hit trials and temptations and struggles, sometimes um, there's less of our pride, there's less of our self-reliance, and there's more room for him to work in our vulnerability. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I certainly have. And as the Apostle Paul often said, when we suffer for the faith, we enter into Christ's suffering and we also share, therefore, in his glory. And so James reminds us, take heart, turn to God and remember who he is in such trials and temptations, which will come and even more so when we seek to follow Jesus Christ. If we can just have the next slide, please. So this was a question, how do you view God? This was a question um, that is very much at the heart of James. And it's one we spent time thinking about in our preaching series, God Has a Name Last Term. Now, A.W. Tozer, we reminded of from the last series, said that if you could extract from any person a complete answer to the question, What comes to mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. Our view of God is really key in our ability to persevere in the life of faith. If you have a warped understanding of who God is, then your life will inevitably become warped. And you will lose heart and you will give up. But as we've already heard from Hebrews and from Exodus 34 last term, God is a good father who is, and you should be able to recite this off by heart now, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, full of mercy and forgiveness, justice and righteousness. 
And he's a God who wants us to share in his holiness, in his abundance. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So when we face trials of any kind, we should look to God. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. James sees a God who gives generously. He doesn't see a stingy God who will only help us if we're good enough. No, he sees a good father who gives ungrudgingly, freely, abundantly, even though we're not perfect or deserving. Now, if we don't see God in this way, that we're, then we're unlikely to look to him for help. And not just because of our British reserve, which often gets in the way, but because we don't think he wants to help us. Or perhaps we see the trials we endure as a punishment from him somehow. But remember what the Hebrew writer said. God disciplines us out of love that we might become mature and complete lacking in nothing but for in order for this to be realized we need to persevere and we need God's help for that we need his wisdom wisdom not only to choose right from wrong but wisdom to discern who God is and what he might be doing in all of this how he might be shaping and molding us where he might be leading us to next. It's been my observation that those who have been through many trials and have clung to Jesus Christ for their dear life have ultimately come out stronger in their faith. There's a depth to their spirituality and their faith in God that isn't easily matched. It's not quickly won, it's hard won. And perhaps you're one of those people or perhaps you know one of those people and you think, yeah, they've really been through it and yet they've clung on to God. They haven't had all the answers they'd hoped for but they believe in God's goodness and they have held on to him the whole way through. And there's just a depth to them, a peace to them that I can't quite grasp. It's, it's beautiful. James encourages us to be uh, believers in God's character, in his love for us, to believe that when we ask for God's help, he will give it to us just like a good father to their child. But there is a difference, isn't there, between what we need and what we want. Sometimes we don't get what we want because God actually knows what's best for us. But I do believe wholeheartedly that God gives us what we need. When we look to him, he gives us what we need. Having faith in God's character believing that he loves us deeply and knows what we need and that he's keen to give it to us when we look to him. We need to adopt this childlike posture of faith before our good, good father. 
If not, our default is to doubt God's generous nature. To think that the problem, this problem that I'm dealing with is way too big for God. Or that I need to recite some magic prayer formula to unlock his help. Or perhaps you feel that, well, you're not good enough for God. Or he's not interested enough to answer your cry for help. But the trouble with all of these approaches is that the focus often lies on ourselves or the enormity of our problems or on the opinions of others. It's not on God's nature and character towards us. And James compares the person who doubts God's character with waves being blown and tossed about by the wind. Do you remember Peter on the waves? He did a very brave and courageous thing when he saw Jesus and he said, tell me to come to you and I will. And Jesus said, come. And so he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the waves and he was fine until he took his focus off Jesus and put them on the storm around him. We start to sink when we take our eyes off Jesus and put them on all the things that are going on around us, allowing the surrounding difficulties to overwhelm and consume us. And it's easily done. And Jesus still grabs our hand like he did with Peter, and he pulls us up. He may rebuke us and say, oh, ye of little faith, but he grabs our hand nonetheless, and he pulls us back up. You see, James goes on to say that such trials that we go through can often humble the proud, those who are self-righteous and self-sufficient and raise up the lowly, those who have nothing but God. His words to the rich here and elsewhere in this letter are pretty cutting. I don't know if you saw that in the passage. His assertion is that your money won't save you, Your material wealth is temporary. You can't take it with you. You may remember a little while ago that, um, I think it might have been at Easter, I told you about my chocolate Easter eggs. Do you remember me telling you about my chocolate Easter eggs? So as a child, um, and still to this day, if I have chocolate, I make it last. Okay, Something that Kate and I don't have in common. And... uh, I got a lot of Easter eggs one year, loved it, okay? And I, I cleared a space in my cupboard and I stacked them very proudly in my cupboard. There they were, my Easter eggs, proudly stacked. And I was like looking at them thinking, this is amazing. I got chocolate to last me the whole year, okay? But because I only take a little bit at a time, every now and then a little bit of a time, what happened to those Easter eggs? Well, Half of them had to be chucked away because they were mouldy, okay? I'd left it too long. They just sat there too long and then had gone mouldy. And I think this is a good lesson for us to learn as Christians, those who want to follow Jesus Christ. There will be much said on wealth as we go through this series, but for those of us who are blessed enough to have a lot of Easter eggs, be careful not to keep them to yourselves but share them generously with everyone who has need. You see, the more we have, the more comfortable we become, 
the less we can often see our need for God. And so James says, blessed is the one who turns to the Lord, who puts their trust in him alone, who looks to him for wisdom and strength, who relies on him for all things, especially if this seems to take a long time to come. And lastly, temptations. We won't dwell too much on this, but similar to the trials we've just concerned, uh, considered ourselves with, um, we also have to endure temptations. And like trials, they are plenty of them. I don't know what temptations you struggle with. Um, it might be binging on food, alcohol, sex, TV, social media, pornography, fashion, technology, sports. I could keep going on. There's quite a few things that we can be tempted by. And Christmas is often a time when many of those temptations come to the fore and we indulge ourselves and then we try and purge ourselves as the January New Year starts. Now, notice that a lot of these temptations, barring pornography, um, are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves. But sin comes when they, these things, get distorted and misused. When they become so much of a hold on you that you can't cope with life unless you have them. When you find yourself repeatedly turning to these things for satisfaction and relief and comfort rather than God and the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And James uses a really vivid picture to describe the effects of such temptations. He says this, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. As I've said, James does not mince his words. He's pretty straight talking, isn't he? And it's a bit uncomfortable to hear. You know, this picture that he's just described, I kind of liken it to someone who is in a marriage and has been seduced into having an affair with someone else, perhaps a younger, more attractive model, which has then resulted in a baby and a result of that relationship with their spouse is now destroyed. It's pretty vivid picture that James is painting here and it's a really sad and uh, destructive one. James is warning us in strong terms that if we continue to indulge ourselves in sinful habits, then we will ultimately forfeit our relationship with God. And if we don't have God, then we don't have life. That's his assumption. James is making a deliberate contrast here. If we persevere through our trials and temptations with God's help, then we will become mature complete or whole and ultimately be rewarded with the crown of eternal life. But if we turn away from God and follow our desires and indulge in sin, then the ultimate reward for that is death, life or death. To whom or to what shall you turn for the fullness of life that you seek? To God or to someone or something else. James concludes by saying, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all creation. Now, many people and many things make great boasts for our welfare, but they don't always deliver. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that. You've experienced that for yourselves. And even those closest to us will let us down from time to time. Why? Because they're human. We're not perfect. But God assures each one of us that he is our heavenly father who is generous and steadfast in love and wants to bring you fullness and wholeness of life. He is faithfully committed to you. He does not change like shifting shadows. That's what James says. So my encouragement to you today and as you head into the new year is to choose life, not death. To choose that which brings life rather than destruction or brokenness. In your trials and in your temptations, turn to God. Ask for his help, for he gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. And we're told by the Apostle Paul that he makes all things ultimately work out for the good of those who love him. It's not self-reliance, it's God-reliance. It's not the easy road, but the narrow one. But if we walk in it, we will receive fullness of life, both now and forever. And as we persevere through trials and temptations... With his help, he not only makes us mature and complete in Jesus Christ, but we also become witnesses to those around us of what life is like when we trust in God, what his kingdom is like, and therefore we become a sign of what is to come fully one day soon. So let's pray together before we close. And I'm going to use the, um, the prayer, the poem that is placed in the notice sheet because I thought it was really, really great. It says this, In the morning light, give me the courage to offer this year and everything in it to you. The things I may enjoy or the things I may suffer the hours in which I may be used or not used by you. Let me from this day put my life into your hands. Triumphs or failures, laughter and tears, they are all at your disposal. From the minute, from this minute, let me no longer be my own but yours. Lord of the morning, help me. Amen.